Gary and Shannon. Okay, if I am 640, more stimulating talk. Uber and Waymo reach a surprise settlement up there in that massive court proceeding in San Francisco. It's all about trade secrets for self-driving cars. Remember, we told you each uh, council table had, what, 10 attorneys, yeah, nine attorneys? Nine attorneys, and the, even the judge was like, ugh, smells like lawyers in here. Yeah, smells like a lot of cash, a lot of billable hours. Well, we're talking about the Olympics today. I can't get over all the figure skating. I, I don't want to get over it. Well, I, I want to dive into it and never leave. I think the nice thing about it is that there is figure skating just about every single day, and the medals start giving, getting handed out, I think, on Tuesday for figure skating. What's on, uh, what's on tonight? Is anything on tonight? Uh, well, we will definitely see skiing, biathlon, possibly, cross-country skiing, curling, of course, hockey. I don't hear luge. figure skating. There's figure skating in there. All right. Right there. All right. I don't know if we'll see any of it. But. Fred well, Rogan, the dean. Joins us now, NBC4 Sports anchor, of course, Fred Rogan, our friend. Hey, we miss you around here. Well, you know, I miss you guys as well, but I have very important, and I'm not trying to downplay the quality work you guys do every day or my friends at AM570, but I have very important work to do for the Olympics. I I am involved in the most important Winter Olympic sport. Uh, I think it generates the most interest, and I think it is the one event that this country breathlessly awaits, and that is curling. I am the host of curling, so I have a very important job, Shannon. I'm sorry. Very important. It is very important, Fred. Yes. And and you're right. Uh, When is curling going to be on is the question on everyone's mind here. Well, Well, no, I'm glad you asked that. And let me share this. It's actually been on on NBCSN because... We're already underway with the all-new Olympic discipline of mixed curling. Whoa. What does that entail? Well, that entails a man and a woman. Oh, oh this is the brother-sister team. team, right? Right. From the United States, Matt and Becca Hamilton, and they hail from up north. Unfortunately— They crapped the bed, didn't they? Well, I wasn't going to put it quite like that. <laughs> but they're off to a rather slow start. Next week— we get into the real competition. What it, what happens then? Well, then it's real, Shannon. Oh, no, what happens? This is then? just preliminary <laughs> rounds to no, to mix, find. Go ahead. This is the this is the mixed curling to warm everybody up. But next week we start with real curling, men's teams, women's teams, and uh, the United States is qualified in both. Uh, they are not projected to win a medal. It's been kind of rough going for the U.S. in curling, although. People honestly like watching it, and you'll see it every day from 2 to 5 in the afternoon in Los Angeles on CNBC. Fred, you know what I'm hearing right now? We're not supposed, what are you hearing? We're not supposed to win curling. I'm hearing Lake Placid 1980. I'm hearing about a run, <laughs> yeah. a run that is so improbable it, it could happen. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and uh, I could go to nine feet tall go back to 23 years old and play for the Lakers. That could happen, too. Right. Anything can happen. Fred, you have to be a believer in the U.S. of A. Oh, I please. I am a believer in the red, white, and blue. But uh, it's going to be a tough, tough outing for them. Let's put it like that. But you're right. Anything could happen. And curling really does generate a very good audience on CNBC. It's the kind of thing that every four years, for whatever reason, people sit back and watch 
I don't really know why, but they really get well, interested. The I, players I, are all might. I would say this. I think there's a there's a certain uh, a mystique makes it sound too exotic, but there's a mystique about curling that when you're watching it, you don't underst- you don't understand it. Like you assume you would not be able to get it if you were to watch it for just a second. But that's it. It's a very simple competition. It feels like one of the most accessible sports. Like you sit there and you feel like I could probably do yeah, that. I, yeah, right. I could do yeah. that. More right. so than, you know, doing moguls or yeah, slaughter. I'm not runs doing and things like that. triple axle. 110 yeah. kilometers down a down an ice sheet with sticks on my feet. Yeah, no, this would be easier than the sticks on your feet ice sheet competition. But um the the thing about it, I think a lot of people get drunk and watch it. I do. And, and and I think they kind of zone out or they get loaded and they just kind of zone out and they can't believe what they're seeing. Well, this and is all. Would you compare it almost to uh, to bowling in the Summer Olympics, which I know was a demonstration sport at one point? I would compare it to perhaps table tennis. Oh, no. I, I, now you're getting into some some sketchy ground here because those those little balls will whiz past. Those things hurt if you get hit in the wrong spots. Well, if somebody drops a 42-pound curling rock on your head, it will also hurt you. Very Fred, good point. Um, <laughs> I was drawing a uh, parallel uh, between curling and, you know, shuffleboard that you see in bars. And a uh, side note, Matt Money-Smith, if you're ever at a bar in Oakland, uh, he is very good at that, that shuffleboard curling game, uh, you know, with the sand on the table. It's the same thing, right? So basically, honest, yeah, basically, shuffleboard, regular shuffleboard, it's, it's kind of... The same thing. You simply try to put your stone or your rock in the house, which would be the scoring area, and if you get the most closest to the middle, you get the points. But there is strategy where you try to block people, and sometimes they miss shots. It, it, honestly, I enjoy doing it. It's fun to watch, um, and that starts on Monday. It gets its own network. It's so important. What do you mean it gets its own network? Well, it's on CNBC. Oh. Yeah. Curling, I mean, they, they set aside an entire, and so you do all three hours? Yeah, but I'm the host. I mean, what do I do? I say, hi, welcome to curling. Tonight we'll send you out to watch the United States take on Finland. Okay, three ends in. Here's the score. We have funny stuff we're going to do. We're going to do a segment called Curl Talk, and we're, what we're going to do is give curling terms that no one understands. Like what? Ex- uh, burning a rock. What does that burning mean? That rock. sounds like uh, hot rails. That sounds like Carmen Pugliafito. Right. Okay, well, burning a rock, and that's the one we're going to start with on Monday, is this. Once you release the stone, you can't touch it. You cannot touch it until it – well, you can't touch it at all. So let's say you release it, and uh, you have something on your shirt, and it falls off, and it hits the stone. The stone's out of play. Mm. If you're sweeping and your brush touches it, the stone's out of play. Uh, so you burned the stone. So we're going to explain that on Monday. Then we'll use it in a sentence. Then we'll ask people to go back to work the next day and use it in a sentence to someone else. So, so that's one of the things we're bur- going to do. So burning a rock is when something touches the stone? Correct. Okay. So we need to figure out how we can incorporate that into the show today. A burned stone? Burning a rock. Burning a rock. Burning mm. a rock. Like, don't you All burn right. that rock? Okay, see, that's, but that's the drill. That's what we're going to start on Monday. I'll give you another one. Hack. Hack. Anybody. Hack. I know because I looked it up. What is it? It's the little foot thing that you stick in. It's like the starting block. 
Why would you look it up? Because I'm a, I'm a know-it-all, is, Fred. Yep, I, I can't let people does. beat me at Scrabble. This is what I have to deal with every day, Fred, Monday through Friday, 10 to 2. Guy who yeah, looks well, stuff up. Even before we talked about it, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Didn't even know we were going to talk about it. Well, it's it I know it's just a, it's a habit, right? So but I'm right. It's a little starting block that they sit in, or they put their feet in so that they can push off. Correct. So then we will explain what that is, and we'll ask everybody to use it in a sentence. Hack. It has multiple meanings. Are I'm these not... are are these curling curlers? Are they athletes? Well, years ago they were not. Years ago, it seemed more like a recreational sport. And, okay, a curling tournament is called a bonspiel. So people that would compete in the old bonspiels, they were family events where friends got together. Today, it's very different. Today, the equivalent for today would be a cornhole in a backyard. Like Steve Mariucci's bocce ball game. No, it would no, no, it would not oh. be that. These, these, these are very highly trained athletes, whether you believe it or not. Um, they're in incredible condition. It's a highly aerobic game, although it doesn't appear to be, because you are sweeping the stones on the ice, and yeah. that requires a lot of strength and aerobic training. How many years have you done uh, the voice of curling? I have hosted curling since CNBC became the dedicated home. So that would be, well, yeah, I did it in Torino, Vancouver. I did the Sochi games, and now these. So this is my fourth curling assignment. Uh, are you now the longest-serving host there, uh, now that Costas is in the wind? Well, I believe I'm the longest-serving curling host by far. Oh, absolutely. But uh, I know I have done nine of these. I don't think anyone currently here has done nine. That's so, very yeah. cool. I love that. Um, well, it's obviously they can't get anybody else to do it. That's so not that's true. That is t- not true. Gary, obviously, would love to have that job. I've started my homework looking up these words. Yeah. How did that work? The first year they call you, they say, Fred, we want you to host the curling. Three hours, no. dedicated network. Uh, what kind of deep dive into curling did you do? No, here's how they called me. When NBC got the rights to the Winter Games, you know, everybody calls their people that they know at the network and says, hey, you know, I'd like to be involved. Here's what I'd like to do. And I said, I'd like to do hockey. I'm a big hockey guy. And I said, okay, well, you know, we'll consider it. He calls me about two months later and goes, well, listen, I got some good news and I got some other news. Here's the good news. You're on the ice. I went, this is great. Yeah. Here's the other news. You're doing curling. <laughs> And, and he said, and, and by the way, when they call you from that level, the first thing you go is, oh, this is great. You never say no. Right. Ever. Because they never call again. So I said, oh, my God, curling. Wow, this will be great. And he said something to me, and I always remember it. He goes, we're giving this to you because we know you'll have fun, but you're not allowed to make fun. Oh. Take that approach as you do it. And I went, okay. And we really have had a very good time doing it. Well, I and I love it. I mean, it's it's one of those that, like you said, everyone for some reason just gets gassed for every four years. And I feel that. I mean, I was watching a lot of these preliminary rounds that NBC Sports, the network, was doing uh, over the course of the last several weeks, and I was getting excited for this. Like you, you could you could put 
curling on on a regular basis. And I would assume in places like Norway and Canada and where curling is truly one of their national sports, they do televise it on a regular basis. Yes, they do. And in Canada, interestingly, and I don't think most people in the States know this, curling is on a par with hockey. I mean, curling is as popular as hockey is in Vancouver, in uh, Canada. And when we were in Vancouver, I was actually there in Vancouver. And it was funny. I was walking down the street, and I had my family with me. And people were coming up and going, oh, my God, you're the host of Curling. Oh, that's very cool. <laughs> and because they were watching the United States feed and not the Canadian feed, some of them. So they saw, and it was like, I was wow, this is pretty cool. I mean, I can't go anywhere and have people walk up to me like that. But in Canada, they knew I was the host of Curly. That is classic. Well, people walk up to you like that in L.A. all the time. Yeah, but I owe those people money. <laughs> I saw Fred uh, in um, when we were given those fancy, uh, those fancy seats for the World Series. Yes. I saw Fred in the little hallway there, and he's walking, and he's walking down the, uh, the hallway. Every single person stopped to talk to Fred. And he is so nice to every single person. He's not like, hey, I got to go see the game. Like, enough, you know. He doesn't Mariah Carey anybody. He stops and no. talks to every single person. No, I do not Mariah Carey anybody. But you, look, all of us are in the people business. I mean, that's our business. If the people didn't listen to us or watch us, we wouldn't be in the business. And I appreciate every single person that says hello because it means they've taken some time to watch or listen to what we do. So, yeah, I, I love it. Even if you do hello. owe them some money. Well, you well, have. Those are the people I run from. <laughs> Along with curling, you're going to be doing a 30 minute show every, uh, every day, basically, taking Sundays off. And you're going to be talking about the Olympic zone, local athletes, et cetera. What is it that, you know, I wouldn't have imagined that Southern California would be a hotbed for winter Olympians. Uh, winter Olympians. Right. Well, look at it like this. In the summer, 50% of the United States team is from Southern California. 50. In the winter, I think we have like 15 kids that uh, or athletes that will compete. And over the past few months, Channel 4 News has gone out. We shot profiles on everybody. Some of them have already aired on the news. Some of them have not. So we'll repurpose those because it's a different audience watching. And we'll talk about it. The, the kid last night, the figure skater, Nathan Chen. Mm, rough night for Nathan. Yeah, but here's what you have to understand. He's 18 years old. He's not like a professional athlete. Shannon, you know from doing the Chargers, they go out, they lost their first four. There's a game the following Sunday. There's always that hope. If you're an Olympic athlete like Nathan Chen, you've waited your entire life for this one opportunity. Yeah. There's no Now, there are tomorrows for him in these games, and he'll still probably medal. But the point being, the pressure on a kid that age competing at that level is immense. And I'll tell you what, I just think he got a little stage fright last night. I yeah. think it all hit him. It's like a young kicker for the Chargers. Or multiple ones. Or five. Yeah. Yeah. Five. Absolutely. Hey, have you Four. met, uh, you know who I'm in love with is uh, that oh. skating that skating duo, the married couple, Chris and Alexa? I've not. No, I've not seen them. He's mm -mm. from uh, San Diego area. So there's a little local connection. All right. Well, then we'll put that in the ozone. <laughs> hey, what's, what's there to do in Stamford, Connecticut at the uh, NBC Sports Group International Broadcast Center? Well, I'm glad you bring that up. Uh, nothing. <laughs> you go to the broadcast center. 
you do your stuff, and then you're done. So, for example, I'm done now. So what do you I'm do? Finished. I'm sitting in my hotel room, staring at the ceiling, talking to you. There's really not a lot to do here. It looks like there's a nice little marina there. Is that right? Okay. Well, there kind of is, but it's also 22 degrees. <laughs> I forgot. It's Connecticut and not uh, San Diego. <laughs> right. So not, let me put it like this. Not a lot to do, but it will give me more time to continue studying my curling manual. There's a Stamford Museum and Nature Center uh, right up your alley. There's oh, uh, the Cove Island Park for, for park, beach, and running. Okay, a little cold for that. Uh, sure. Let's see here. There's uh, the Hoyt Barnum House. It's the oldest house in Stamford. Look, look at that. Uh, All right. Built around 1699. Builder was a descendant of one of the original founders of Stamford. You can take a picture outside of that, baby. Okay, well, let me tell you about a building like that. There's one right next to the hotel. So I've been here multiple times now for the Olympics, and there's this, this building, and it looks like an old house. But it also could be a bar. I'm not really sure. But the people sitting in front don't ever speak, and a few don't have teeth. Oh. So one, yeah, it's, so one night I decided, I'm going to find out what that house is. Oh, no. I, this sounds like deliverance. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So I did it actually two years ago. So I went to the house because it was summer, and it was kind of a bar, but I don't know who these people were. They had paper plates and, like, were taking macaroni and cheese out of a <laughs> container. I swear to God. There was a jukebox, and, and they all had this kind of glazed-over look in their eyes, and, uh. and they kind of eerily looked at me but didn't speak. So I said, you know what? I'm going to be comfortable here because this is an adventure. I'm going to sit down. I sat down. No one looked at me. No one talked to me. I left three minutes later, and it's directly next to the hotel. Oh, my That's, gosh. Wow. That was my adventure. You're lucky you didn't get skinned or something. Yeah. Burt yeah. Reynolds wasn't with you, was he? No. <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, Fred, <laughs> you know what? We care about you, yeah, and we don't, don't want don't you do to go again. wandering into houses slash watering holes in Stamford, Connecticut. No, right? Maybe just that, stick yeah. to the hotel um, refreshments and, and stay away from the mac and cheese people. I'm going to do that. I think you make uh, a very good point. Uh, excellent. Fred, thank you for your time. We know you're busy... In the hotel room. If so. you get bored, call us back. We'll be. You guys here. want me to stay on with you for another two hours? I mean, I'm free. <laughs> um, you want to take some calls? I'm oh, I would totally. But Oscar's giving us the thumbs down, so we're gonna have oh, to blame no. this one on Oscar. <laughs> Thank you, Fred. All right, guys. Take care. Uh, again, Fred Rogan uh, is at the NBC World Headquarters. And I he's guess, there in, for in three weeks. Yes. And there's legitimately well, nothing to do. Do you know how a busybody Fred is, too? He's always running all over the place, like always has somewhere to go. Nowhere to go there. Yeah, Where are you going to go? That's tough. You can't, and it's not even like like he said, you can't just go next door and find that right. hip hop in place. And... Right. He wandered into like a methadone den. I mean, isn't that what it sounded like to you? The Olympic Zone is the 30-minute show that you can see uh, <laughs> anchored by Fred Monday through Saturday on Channel 4 uh, at 4.30 in the afternoon. 
And then, of course, he's going to be doing four Olympic athletes to watch every day on Today in L.A. on Channel 4 and four Olympic moments to watch on NBC4 at 4 p.m. Fred has been doing this since 1984, covering the Olympics since 1984. He's also doing curling, of course, on CNBC from the International Broadcast Center. You would totally steal that gig, in Stamford, though. Connecticut. In which one? The curling gig. I, you yes. know, but that is a hard instruction that he says he received from up on NBC's high. Yeah, but I think you could do it. You could have fun but not make fun. Have fun but don't make fun. Yeah. I don't know. I think as long as I wasn't there, you could totally handle it with class. Well, you would be just giggling the entire time. Right, right. Oh, you know, we forgot to ask him. We'll have to ask him if we get him back on which Olympic sport he would be. He would take part in. Oh, you know he'd be a curler. No, I'd say he can't do curling. Okay, yeah. Can we do like regular hits with Fred from Connecticut? Sure. If he has the time, and I'd just, love to. I, it sounds like he's he got sounded, the time. Yeah, he sounded really busy. Yeah, um, just because I want to know about his travels through that town. <laughs> what bar did you visit today? Yeah, I don't care about the sports stuff. <laughs> but, like, where did you wander into today? Who did you meet today? It'll be like Fred's four uh, Stamford, Connecticut people to watch instead of Olympians. Don't go down the deliverance hole. Over there. Beautiful. Oh, man, I forgot how creepy that guy is. The kid? The kid with the banjo? Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> You're going to have to call that one up on Netflix later on today. Get Probably not. Okay. So, when we come back, we're going to be talking about what's going on with the homeless uh, in, in in L.A. And the newest plan, I, I guess you just throw as many of these plans against the wall as you can to see what sticks. The newest plan is conversion of parking lots around the city. What could possibly what could go possibly wrong? possibly go wrong? And why would people be upset with that? Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Gary and Shannon. Well, the government's back up and running. Didn't know if you even noticed, but there was a government shutdown overnight. Rand Paul was upset with the amount of spending that was in the Senate budget bill. So he stood in the way, but uh, eventually changed his mind. And uh, I think officially the government was shut down for four hours or five hours or so before they uh, voted to get this thing back up and running. So we'll talk more about that at uh, 1230. Serena Marshall is going to join us and tell us what it was like on Capitol Hill when the government was... I don't know, shut down for an hour? Strange. Well, the homeless population has exploded in Los Angeles, which was once Skid Row is now, as I like to call it, Skid Grid. It's massive. And the homeless are also spreading out in other parts of the city. Now there's a plan to use parking lots across the city to house the homeless. Yeah, the the housing and community investment... Because this is a housing problem? Well... No, 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 no. The... I think that they're ignoring some of the basic issues of what causes homelessness. Um, They're ignoring the individuals who are homeless and the different reasons why they're homeless and suggesting that simply, you know, putting up a building is going to cause, sorry, putting up a building is going to solve a bunch of these problems. Um, This is asinine, though, because (laughs) these parking lots, they're talking about areas in Venice. They're talking about. 
along Santa Monica Boulevard west of the 405. This is the have same. You, have you tried to park in Venice oh. or in Santa Monica west of, on Santa Monica Boulevard or around it west of the 405? The, the most um, – the attitude that comes up with a plan like this is the same attitude that pours hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars into train lines in L.A., that's not the way it works. It's never worked that way. I mean, ridership on public transit in L.A. has never been overwhelming. And that's not the way people choose to get around the city of L.A. and the, and the greater reaches of Southern California. So this attitude of pulling away parking spaces in order to put up houses, I think you're right, is just it, it addresses a problem completely different than what we're facing. Not only. Or causes more problems than it fixes probably. Not only is this a bad idea just because of how compacted these areas are. You try to park in Venice. You try to park in, the, in West L.A. It's a mess. They're going to take parking lots and put a bunch of homeless people in them. Let's talk about something else that's big in West L.A. and in Venice. Businesses, small businesses. You're going to take away parking, give it to a bunch of homeless people, and then expect people to go there and frequent your restaurant yeah. or your or, and it's nothing against homeless people. I'm not saying these are bad people that I don't want to walk past as I go to dinner or or to to go buy something, at, at clothes or whatever. It's the fact that you need to think about what comes with a homeless encampment, and it's it just it it's not a good scene. You're not going to take your kids there. You're going to avoid the areas like the plague. And then what happens? The businesses crumble. And then what happens? The areas turn to crap. It's just a really long-term. And it's also assuming that the reason we have so many homeless people is because. There's just no housing. There's nowhere to put them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah like I said, it, it ignores the issues of drug addiction. It ignores the issues, probably the bigger and harder to solve issue of mental illness among the people in uh, on the streets and the combination thereof. And then when you throw in on top of that, people who simply just find themselves economically unable to put together two pennies to put down a down payment on something and get into an apartment or a house or wherever they need to go, that you are ignoring 66% of the population of the homeless people, if you just use basic numbers on that. They need to triage the homeless problem just like you would triage a disaster. You got to go in and find out who's hurt where, right? You got to find out is it a VA problem? Are these veterans that, that need help, that have come back and have had um, issues, whether it be PTSD or just. Um, problems getting back into the community and help them the way that they need to be helped. Is it mental illness, people that um, have families but prefer to be outside? Well, maybe there's some way to get them to live inside some of the time. Is it, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, but you need to triage the situation. It's not that they, they just don't have anywhere to go or no, uh, you're not. Making several different tent cities in some of the city's most compacted areas that contains so many businesses should be a non-starter. Well, and it's not even necessarily that they would just open up the parking lot and allow people to move in. They're saying that they would use these lots as a, the beginning for a small apartment complex or condo units or just units that would be low-cost housing for everybody. 
But that brings with it the same things a lot of times, unfortunately, that a tent city would bring that that, uh, you know, temporary trailers would bring for people if they were supposed to live there low cost uh, in a temporary way. All of that stuff is it doesn't solve the problem. It then just makes the problem even more of the city's issue because it's going to be on their property now. It's a weird thing where you've got to have uh, you've got to have compassion, period. We should all have compassion for the people who are on the streets. But the city coming out and suggesting that that compassion is bigger or more important than a thriving city that's able to handle situations like this. It doesn't make sense that you're putting that, that compassion for people ahead of those who are still out there making the money, who are paying the taxes, who are providing the services for the people who need the help. That doesn't make any sense because you're, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face there. It's also being enabling uh, of the of the problem. And I think that's why we've seen Skid Row uh, blow up so much um, because it's kind of like instead of getting people off the street and figuring out how to do that, it's how do we make it more comfortable for them? Uh, let them, you know, all of these Los Angeles, San Francisco type uh, liberal policies for, for the homeless, you know, um, giving, making it easier to, to live on the street kind of thing. Do you, did you see the uh, the parking meters, the homeless meters that they have out there now? Yeah, These, Grand Park. Yeah. Uh, they say they've had them in Pasadena for quite some time. I haven't seen those. It's, they probably just look like parking meters. Everybody keeps plunking money in there thinking they're paying for their parking. Um, it's a place for you to donate money if you want. The machines themselves were donated. The The meters, there's Didn't, six of them, would cost about $5,000 to operate and maintain. Isn't there a bunch of money, though, in... Uh, f- didn't we do this? I want to say four hundred million is the figure that I keep coming up with. There was something we voted for, or there was some sort of money set aside, and they couldn't figure out how to spend it. Yeah, we've done that. It's not. And there was like a, a group of fifty people around a table yeah. yelling at each other about the best way to spend the money. Yes, yes. So I think that we're. I don't think money is the problem right now. Although money, you can always make an argument for needing more money, but I don't think money is the issue in L.A. County. No, it's not a housing problem. No, it's 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 a feelings problem. They, yes. People want to feel like they're doing something. These these meters are one way for people to feel like they're doing something rather than getting their hands dirty and, uh, you know, helping out in some real way. You can drop your spare change. Spare change. We're talking about tens of thousands of dollars potentially, which are which is great. But like you said, the money is not an issue. There are millions of dollars that are being spent on this issue in and around California, specifically Southern California. And it doesn't seem to have changed anything. I think it goes back to, like you just said, there were like 50 people included. With, it's just too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. Every, like, because everybody wants to feel like they're doing something, you know. What do you want to do when we come back? Oh, we should talk about how you cannot just evacuate now. It's not a suggestion. It's not a friendly, hey, guys, maybe it's time to pack up. They're going to drop the word voluntary from emergency warnings to try to add some amount of direness, dire, try to find gravity, gravity. Thank you. Gravitas, gravitas. Yes. To the warnings when some weight disasters come out. Some. Yes. I ate M&Ms today. You did? Yes. How many? Just four. Oh, that's not that's not eating M&Ms. It's child's play. 
All right, the new way we evacuate when we come back. That sounds gross. Wish me love for wishing well, kissing tell. Oh, wishing well, a bird for latte. Wish me love for wishing well, kissing tell. Oh, wishing well, a crocodile chase. Oh, boy. Well, we are in correction territory on Wall Street. We'll talk about what it all means coming up after Julie's news at the top of the hour. Yeah, the Dow right now is, uh, they say it's, what is it, up 137? It was up and down a lot over the course of just a few hours this morning. So, Also, Germans, they may be great figure skaters. Germans? But they're doing it wrong in the bedroom. Well. And I have proof. It's not meant to kill. I've got numbers showing that they're doing it wrong. And why are they involving cheese? Another mystery. Hey, dude, put a condom on. Another Okay, cheese Blake, is that really... is not okay. Um, and who was he talking about? I don't even remember the I context of Chris and Carlo. That was when we were talking about the propositions. Flash oh. and target. This was last year. Oh, right. that's right. So there was that, that bill to make porn actors wear condoms. Yeah, right. yeah. In fact, so he was just reading the name of the proposition. And so he was saying the proposition is like basically hyper- telling actors, dude, put a condom on. Hey, dude, put a condom on. Excellent. <laughs> Poor Chris and Carla. And it lives on in infinity. It sure does. <laughs> no one is safe on this show. We, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I drove up to my parents' house and I went through Montecito to get there. And it was about four or five days after they had reopened Highway 101 after the mudslide. And I was amazed at a couple of things. Number one, driving specifically driving through Montecito. If you do so during the day, people slow down because they want to see what's going on. You can't see a whole lot from the highway, but you can see enough that you can tell some bad stuff went on. There's still mud all over the median. There's mud all over the shoulder. There's giant boulders just on the other side of the frontage road that goes along the highway there that they have moved to get out of the different neighborhoods that all came down in this mudslide. That was one thing that I saw. The other thing was a huge number, dozens of big dump trucks full of mud or had just dropped off mud that were either from Ventura all the way up through like Santa Maria, all over the highway. They were going through. They had uh, Army Corps engineer stickers on the side to identify them and who they were working for and where they were going, just all over in terms of the amount of mud that came down in the middle of that night and killed 21 people. The problem is, for days leading up to that storm, Santa Barbara County officials had said, this is has the potential to be a bad, bad situation. With the fire having gone through here, the hills are bare, there is no place for the water to go, it's going to come right down our gullies and rivers here and streams and could potentially bring with it mud flows we haven't seen before. But they just used the term voluntary when it came to the evacuations orders that they had. So the residents who were in neighborhoods that were under the voluntary evacuation warnings, many of them decided to stay because they just figured, oh, they're just being cautious, overly cautious, or else they would have told us this was a mandatory evacuation. 
So the sheriff, Bill Brown, Santa Barbara County, says the reality is some people misinterpret the voluntary word and believe that there's a measure of safety there that really wasn't. We talked about this afterwards. And in the aftermath, of course, everyone's uh, hindsight is always twenty twenty. What could they have done differently? And what sort of personal responsibility do people have if they find themselves in any kind of evacuation area, I don't think mandatory anyone, or voluntary? I don't think anyone predicted or saw the uh, magnitude of the mud flow. You know, I, I think that when people think mudslides, they think, oh, maybe a little bit gets into my backyard. Right. They don't think about vehicles washing away in a river of mud that's able to lift homes off of uh, foundations. And I think moving forward, at least for the next couple decades, we will remember what happened there. And I think people, even if they are under a voluntary evacuation, will remember that and say, well, it could it could be like that. I know I will. I mean, I, I'm one of those people, I evacuate when it's voluntary evacuations because, hell, I don't know how quick this is going to move. I don't know what's going to happen. And my father-in-law lives down the road and we can go to his house and it's right. not an inconvenience. They don't have to spend any money or anything like that. Um, but the next time I get a, a voluntary evacuation order where I live in the foothills, I'm going to remember what happened in Montecito. It's just going to be like a smoke not, outline of where you even, were because yeah. you've already taken off. It's not even going to – exactly. It's not even going to be a conversation between my husband and I. Well, what do you think? You, you want, should we go? Well, well, we could. It's going to be – let's go. Because you're going to remember seeing those those pictures from Montecito and yep. the wall of mud. But as we move forward into into territory where we don't remember – uh, you know, 30, 40 years down the line when there's new generations, they don't remember living through that. It'll probably be helpful to remove that word voluntary. Well, the sheriff said uh, that in the autopsy of what happened, sorry to use that word, but in the autopsy of what happened was what we did sufficient on January the 8th. And he says, in retrospect, it was not. So he's taking some, you know, some responsibility for the message that was sent out to the people. So they've changed it. The undersheriff says, listen, we're 72 hours before any major storm like this. We're going to issue a pre-evacuation advisory to put the entire community on notice that you should be prepared to leave. And then as the storm gets closer, they can uh, more accurately predict perhaps which neighborhoods are going to be uh, or at least run the risk of being impacted in a certain way, and then change the evacuation into two categories, a recommended evacuation and a mandatory evacuation. So basically just changing the voluntary to recommended, but at least putting some more some onus on the people themselves to get out. So, All right, coming up next, everything everyone is talking about, we've got it right here on Gary and Shannon. Get a credit card that gives you what you need now, a low interest rate on everyday purchases, and place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest interest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed, and together, they can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit PenFed.org slash gold card. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCU. Anyway.